Shalom. It is uh, the 25th of January and uh, 2009, and we are studying uh, the Epistle to the Galatians, grafted in, and we're currently on Lesson 11, which is a focus on Chapter 5 of uh, the Book of the Galatians. <coughs> Let's open in prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Lord our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord illuminate his countenance for you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and establish peace for you. Uh, we are looking at uh, Lesson uh, 11, as we said, chapter 5, a focus on chapter 5. Um, a few focus uh, scriptures here before we get started. Uh, from Galatians 5.25, if, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In Ezekiel 36.26-27, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Jeremiah 31.33 But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. <laughs> Some questions for today's study. Would the Spirit of God ever lead us to disobey God's instructions? If the works of the flesh are disobedience, and the flesh is contrary to the Spirit, what are the works of the Spirit, that is, the fruit of the Spirit? Are they obedience? And does not being under the law mean I am free to sin? Uh, we'll consider these questions and hopefully we'll have some, uh, uh, if not some answers, we'll have a, a, a place that we can uh, start from as we, uh, as we continue our study. Uh, last week we looked at, the, we looked at uh, Paul's warning to the Galatians uh, about returning to elementary principles or elementary things. And uh, we saw that this was not a, as the commentators often uh, conclude, a warning not to go back under the law. Remember, if the Galatians were coming out of, the Gentiles were coming out of paganism, obviously it wouldn't be going back under the law, but rather he was warning them against the very, <coughs> the very return back to paganism um, that uh, he, uh, he considered a, a very high likelihood. And one of, those, uh, one of those pagan concepts has found its way into some forms of philosophical Judaism, uh, specifically that form of Judaism uh, that uh, Philo writes of, uh, or Philo, as he's called by Christian commentators. Uh, Philo, of course, is a favorite commentator in the, uh, in the century before uh, the birth of Messiah because he's Jewish, but also because he, has, uh, he writes in Greek and he has a, uh, he has a background in Greek philosophy. Uh, uh, Christian theology uh, enjoys uh, Greek philosophy and treats Greek philosophy oftentimes as if it is biblical, and uh, because of that, uh, Philo is is quite uh, is quite um, versed in it and uh, is very well accepted by Christian commentators. Uh, Philo, uh, we see, used this same Greek word stocheia to refer to uh, earth, um, uh, air, uh, fire, and water as the elementary principles uh, or the elementary things which by which the world is made up, the universe is made up. Uh, and this is that very, uh, the very thing that Paul's referring to, this return to a, a, uh, a, uh, a pagan understanding. Uh, these, uh, the Greek pantheon was filled um, with uh, these uh, uh, 
demigods of uh, of nature, of which the four principal were represented by uh, um, earth, air, fire, and water. Also, the phrase we saw that the phrase "under the law" does not refer to obedience to uh, to Hashem's Torah. The idea that under the law that you do, wouldn't want to be under the law uh, actually is a reference is a reference back to man-made ritual. Uh, the under the law there is because remember, man, the man-made ritual or ritual conversion included included obedience uh, to both the written and the oral law and uh, was a means by which to enter the covenant community. How would you be, ha, how Gentiles could have a part in the world to come? They would become, as it was referred to, they would become Jewish. Um, and Paul's talking about under the law in reference to that very, uh, that very, very those, those very man-made rubric, uh, uh, rubrics of um, uh, conforming to uh, a, a ritual, man-made ritual, uh, in order to gain access to uh, to the covenant people. We saw that the two covenants also mentioned in chapter 4 are not the Mosaic versus the New. Uh, and in fact, what we saw was uh, they are they are a reference to the man-made ritual um, of uh, joining the covenant or a man-made ritual of, of becoming a part of the covenant people versus the work of Messiah. And the work of Messiah, how, how one is joined to God uh, through the covenant uh, the new covenant, particularly, and in the, and in the covenant, uh, being uh, being a part of uh, of the covenant people. We also looked and we spent a, a great deal of time looking at the value of the Torah, that it does that it does reveal the righteousness of God. It is the revealed righteousness of God, and it is a means by which uh, uh, Messiah Yeshua is revealed. Uh, Yeshua Himself said that uh, um, that that all of the scriptures speak of him. Uh, we see that Judaism says the same thing. The sages said that all scripture speaks of Messiah. And uh, we, we, also, we also saw the value of the Torah, the revealed righteousness of God. Um, uh, in, in, uh, um, in, in, in revealing uh, not only righteous living, but also re- revealing the righteous Messiah. Uh, Yeshua said that uh, in speaking in the parable of the uh, of the uh, of what's called Lazarus and the rich man, uh, he uh, we we see how Abraham speaks in the parable speaks to the rich man and tells him that even if even if um, that that the rich man's brothers uh, had Moses and the prophets. And uh, if they would not believe Moses and the prophets, then even if one were resurrected from the dead, they would not believe. And we see that Yeshua himself said that uh, unless one uh, believes uh, Moses and what Moses wrote, uh, then he, he cannot believe uh, in Yeshua. Um, it's a very difficult thing when you consider uh, classical Christianity has, has uh, divorced themselves from the law of Moses. How is it that they know Yeshua? Yeshua's own words uh, um, question uh, that possibility. Uh, let's go ahead and start with this week. Uh, what we want to do is uh, we spent some, uh, some time looking at uh, the whole law or the complete uh, Torah. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, we see, uh, we, we read, Paul says this, Yes, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, what we see is classical Christian theology looks at this and says, See, if you, if you, uh, if you want to be Judaized, if you go into uh, be, if you succumb to, Judy, uh, to a Judaizer and you go back under the law, then you become a debtor to keep the whole law. And since no one can keep it perfectly, you condemn yourself. That's the that's tradi- traditional view. But Paul's not speaking of that at all. He's, first of all, he's not spoke, speaking of being Judaized. He's speaking of going through ritual conversion uh, to become, uh, as ritual conversion was described, to become a Jew for the means by which you could join the covenant people, having a part in the world to come. And that and Paul speaking here says, if uh, if you were to go through this conversion uh, process, then uh, then uh, you are a debtor uh, to the whole law. And what is the whole law? We know that the whole law being spoken of here is what ritual conversion included, which was not the written Torah alone, but the oral Torah as well. That you become a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, you make an agreement by going through ritual conversion. You make an agreement to follow the dictates of 
all the sages, including uh, those things recorded uh, orally, and uh, we would read them today in the Mishnah and parts of the Talmud, etc., <clears throat> and certainly within the traditions of, uh, of the people of Israel. Uh, but, you know, we need to ask the question, first of all, is, is, uh, is this, if, even if this was speaking of the Torah, is the Torah a one, uh, a one unit? Is it an all or nothing thing? Does the, is, the, is the law of God an all or nothing thing? And in this, classical Christianity is absolutely correct. The law of God is a whole thing. It is a unit. Unfortunately, Classical Christianity, uh, the theology of classical Christianity, uh, Christianity has 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 not considered the whole law as a single unit, but has divided it up, has divided it up as a means by which it could split it into parts. Um, uh, and we know the reason why, of course, it split into parts is so that it could be, um, is so that it could be. Uh, uh, Parts of it could be jettisoned uh, by the Gentile uh, Christian. Um, but the Talmud, uh, you know, Scripture teaches, first of all, that, that it, is, it is one, that, the, that the, the commandments of God are one. But uh, the Talmud records this as well. Judaism has, has long been famous for the treating of the Torah as a single unit. Uh, this is from uh, the Babylonian Talmud, uh, found in Sanhedrin 99a. Another taught, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, this refers to him who maintains that the Torah is not from heaven. And even if he asserts that the whole Torah is from heaven, except a particular verse, which he maintains is not uttered by God, by Moses, but by Moses himself, he is included in, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, a quote. Um, here, here uh, interestingly enough, uh, the, the Talmud, uh, uh, looking forward into history, uh, and certainly the Christians of the day as well, but looking forward into history, even into evangelical Christianity, and seeing, uh, seeing this very thing. Uh, we hear people repeatedly speaking, even within Messianic Judaism, that part of Messianic Judaism that does not consider the Torah to be valid, um, we hear them saying, using things, well, it was uttered by Moses. They call it the Torah of Moses, um, or the Law of Moses. Uh, you know, as if, first of all, the scriptures speak of the Torah as the Torah of Moses, but as if it were uttered by Moses himself and not by the, by the mouth of the Almighty. Um, this is not only dangerous, uh, as the Talmud records, it is, uh, it is, it is uh, an indication that one despises the word of the Lord. Not just those that say the Torah is not from heaven, that the scriptures don't come from heaven, that it's not inspired by God without error, but that part of it was uttered by, not by God, but by Moses himself. My challenge to uh, my evangelical brothers in this regard, do you believe that the scriptures are inerrant, that they are without, without error in their original form? Well, then do you believe that the Torah of Moses was spoken by the mouth of the Almighty. And as such, it could never be undone or be considered to be wickedness. Um, in in uh, Makot, the Babylonian Talmud, Makot 24a, it says, Isaiah came and reduced them, speaking of the commandments, to six principles. As it is written, He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he hath despised the gain of oppressions that shaketh his hand from holding bribes, that stoopeth his ear from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from looking upon evil. He shall dwell on high. Micah came and reduced them to three principles, as it is written, It hath been told thee, O man, what is good, and what the Lord doth require of thee, only to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. So here we see that the 613, traditional counting of 613 commandments, the Talmud says, uh, Isaiah came and reduced them to six. Uh, Micah came and reduced them to three, and as, and uh, and continued to quote again Isaiah, and reduced them to two principles, as it is said, "Thus saith the Lord: Keep ye justice and do righteousness." Amos came and reduced them to one principle, as it is said, "For thus said the Lord unto the house of Israel: Seek me and live." To this, Rabbi Nachman ben uh, Yitzhak demurred, saying, "Might it not be taken as seek me by observing the whole Torah and live?" But it is Habakkuk who came and based them all on one principle, as it is said, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Isn't it interesting, uh, beloved, how 
the Talmud uh, in in Makot 24a records the very thing that we see in the apostolic scriptures repeatedly that all scripture can be based on one principle the just shall live by faith isn't it interesting as well that the Talmud records records 613 uh, traditional counting of commandments reduced to 6 reduced to 3 reduced to 2 reduced to 1 never saying that they replace but rather that they some that they are summations of, um, and this is the this is the thing that I am most troubled with, even among uh, so-called messianic leaders, who speak of who speak of the commandment, a new commandment that Yeshua speaks of in in John, uh, a new commandment I give you, love one another, uh, as I have loved you, as if that this is a replacement for the commandments of God. Um, you know, is God divided that he can be split? That, that there can be a commandment of, of God the Father different and separate from the commandment of God the Son, as they would say? Uh, may it never be that we consider such a thing. Uh, if, if, in fact, Yeshua is Emmanuel, that he is God, in the, God among us, that he is God in the flesh, then we must, we must consider uh, all of his words as... Torah, but we should not in any time consider uh, the words spoken uh, through uh, God's servant Moses as not Torah. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, uh, I find it ironic that there's this splitting, this splitting of God into parts, uh, certainly against the very teaching of Scripture. Um, we, we see that, that, that it's not Paul and it's not the sages that, that, that introduced this idea of, of one of the Torah or of the commandments being one. Uh, but I would ask, uh, again, my brothers and sisters uh, who are uh, antinomian, who are against the law of Moses, uh, are we free to receive the moral law from Scripture and yet reject the ritual law? You want to point to Galatians chapter 5, verse 3 and say the whole law is a unit. You want to point to James and say the law is a single unit. And yet... Uh, that if you don't keep all of it, you're guilty of all of it, which is true. And yet you you split the law into moral law, into ritual law, into civil law. Can it be split? No. It's one unit. Always. Go with me to Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. Sometimes in the English, um, the... the uh, the plurals are lost because they sometimes make no grammatical uh, they make no grammatical sense to our English uh, um, um, sensibilities. Um, oftentimes, we've seen our translators are very uh, very fast and loose with verb tenses. Uh, they do the same thing with regard to the commandments and the commandment. Um, oftentimes, not correctly conveying the singularity of it. But this is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, and it is singular. Now this is the commandment, singular, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, and the day, all the days of your life, that you may know that, that your days may be prolonged. And you know this is the preface to uh, the Shema, the, uh, the central declaration of Judaism, that God is one. This is the way it starts. This is the commandment. These are the statutes and judgments. Uh, God is telling us that he has sum up, summed everything up under one. The commandment. Now, I would I would encourage you to consider uh, the commandment to um, uh, Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. Uh, one commandment: of all the trees of the garden, you may eat, but this tree. That one commandment was broken, and of course, we and they, forever uh, until the redemption of Messiah, uh, are are guilty of breaking all. It's the commandment. Agree to obey God or not. There's no, I'll agree to obey some things, just not those things. Uh, when, we, when we start 
picking and choosing what we will obey of what God has said, then we are not obedient. And I would offer that if you, if you are uh, content to pick and obey what, you, what God has spoken, deciding, well, is that for me or is this for me? You're much like what's called the rich young ruler in Matthew, where uh, confronted with the, uh, uh, with the stark reality uh, and asking Yeshua uh, how one can have eternal life, and Yeshua's answer of, keep the commandments and you will enter into life. And he asked the question, which ones? Are we asking the question, which ones? If we are, then we are not obedient. We are not obedient to the commandments of God. The commandment, it's singular. You obey him or you don't. And it's very, very dangerous to say that you do obey him and yet consciously decide to exclude commandments that he has clearly spoken. Go to Mark, uh, excuse me, go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 through 14. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. says this, for this commandment, speaking singular, which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it down to, uh, and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your heart, excuse me, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. What is God's, what is God's word? It is the commandment. The word, but the word is very near you. The word and the commandment are interchangeable. You can't pick up the Bible and say, this is the word of God, and then still deny the commandment within it. It's one and the same. Will you obey him or not? If you say you obey him, then why are you tearing pages out of your Bible? You may not feel you're tearing pages out of your Bible, but there might as well be. Are those pages stuck together because you've never bothered to read what God has said because it's not for you? The commandment is singular. All of it. All of it. Do you believe that it is a sin to lie? Why do you not lie? Is it because God has said it? And it's true? Then why do you break His Sabbath? Has God said that? Is that not true? Go to Mark chapter 7 verse 9 and I'll tell you why many of us continue to break the commandment of God. Mark chapter 7, verse 9, Yeshua, speaking Yeshua, said to him, and he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Many of us do not keep and treasure the Sabbath. And the reason why is because we've been given a tradition of men. Sunday, we say, is the day of the Lord. And it is certainly a day of the Lord, as all of them are. But it is not a replacement for the Sabbath. It is not the Sabbath. There's only one. You replace the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Go to 1 Timothy 6.14. Paul says, speaking in uh, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, says that you, speaking to uh, Timothy, that you keep the commandment, singular again, that you keep the commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord, Messiah, Yeshua, appears. Do you understand that when Paul says, tells Timothy to keep the commandment, in first century Judaism, that means something. It means be scrupulous in your observance. Be scrupulous. Live righteously. Those who will slice Scripture into parts and categorize the commandments of the Lord into the moral or civil or ritual as we see so often done by commentators, they fail to understand that any part, if any part of God's word was annulled, then it was all annulled. 
If any part cannot stand, then none of it can stand. How dare you stand up and say that God has given us a new law, the new law of Christ, and that it replaces the very Torah of the Lord. Is God divided? Shame that we would consider that God is divided, that His commandments are divided. It's, it's, uh, it's ironic to me when we consider how many times we see replacement theology and the theologies of, of replacement, of supersessionism, finding their way into our theology, even among messianics, where we would, we would exalt we would exalt Messiah at the expense of the Almighty as He is revealed in the Torah. That we would exalt the, uh, the uh, priest, the high priesthood of Messiah at the expense of the eternal priesthood of Aaron. That we would, that we would exalt the uh, New Testament, the apostolic scriptures, at the expense of the Tanakh, or what people call the Old Testament. Do we not understand, are our Western minds so confined that we cannot understand, it's not either or, it's both, it's and, it's not, it's not just one or the other, it's both. And if you destroy the, if you destroy the, the, the priesthood of Aaron, which God says is for Alam, for eternity, then you demolish the very point made in the book of Hebrews regarding the high priesthood of Yeshua. They cannot, Yeshua's high priesthood cannot stand except that the promises made to Aaron stand. The word used in Psalm 119, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The word forever, olam, is the same word used in Exodus chapter 29, where he speaks to Aaron and says, it is your priesthood forever, olam. It's got to be either or, I'm sorry, that is, you know, the new commandment of Christ versus the old commandment of, of God, the law, a new law versus an old law? Do you understand what you're doing is you're actually destroying the very foundation of faith when you do that. It's not either or. It's both. It's both. Our Western minds want to replace. Our theology wants to replace. It's inconsistent with Scripture. It is not about replacing except to replace the paganism that we walked in with the righteousness of God. Take up that Take up that banner. Take up that banner and preach it to the world. But don't take up the banner where one-third of our scriptures replace two-thirds of our scriptures. How foolish are we to think that this is, uh, this is the way that we reveal the righteousness and the glory of God. Let's look at walking in the Spirit because it's a very powerful, powerful passage that Paul gives us. Here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, uh, talking about uh, walking in the Spirit, walking in the righteousness of God versus walking in the flesh. This phrase, we saw this, word, this phrase, walk in the Spirit. Walking is a uh, halak, is in fact a, a Hebrew concept of walking out, doing what God has told us to do. How one walks means how one lives. This is very, uh, Paul is very, uh, very Hebraic in his usage of this phrase, talking about walking in the Spirit. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 26. For you, brothers, were called for freedom. Do not use your freedom for gain to the flesh, but through love be servants to one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, we just paused for just a moment. Remember, we just saw that. The law is fulfilled in one word. Does that mean that a quote from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself, means that the rest of the, rest of the Torah is annulled? Of course not. Uh, in fact, Halil said the same thing when he spoke about uh, when he spoke about um, uh, 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 when he spoke about the whole Torah is summed up in what is not hateful to you uh, do not do to your neighbor uh, love your neighbor as yourself 
the, the rest is commentary, go and, go and learn it, is what he said. Uh, this is what he was speaking of, the very same thing Paul's speaking of, and the very same thing Yeshua sp- spoke of. These two commandments, on these two commandments, the, speaking in Matthew chapter 22, verse 44, on these two commandments do the law and the prophets hang. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your uh, might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's repeating that. Continuing, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you do not, don't consume one another. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, that you may not do the things you desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hate, hatred, Strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, orgies, the things like these of which I forewarn you, even as I also forewarn you that those who have practiced such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pause for a moment. What has he just listed? See, a lot of people want to contrast between the spirit and the law here, and that's not what's being contrasted. What's being contrasted is the spirit versus the flesh. What are these things that he's listing here? The flesh. Are there things you are they th- things that you agree to? Are they theologies you agree to or disagree to? No, these are things you do. What does he say? Those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those people that do these things, what are these things? These are sins. Would you not agree that everything listed here that is the flesh is a sin? How do we know sin? Is it because Paul said it that makes it a sin? Where did Paul get it from? Beloved, we know where, God, where Paul got it from. He got it from the Torah. All of these are violations, disobedience to the Torah. But listen to what he says, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You say you have the Spirit. You say you live by the Spirit. Let's walk like it. Let's do it. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do I know if I love my neighbor? How do I know if I love God? What do I know about peace? How can I know about peace? What is patience? What is kindness? Chesed. What is goodness? What is tovah? What's emuna, Faith. What is gentleness and self-control? How can you know what these things are? Beloved, there's only one way to know what these are. The Word of God reveals what they are. And what is the opposite? The works of the flesh. Sin. Disobedience to God. Go, go with me real quickly to uh, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. We'll read through verse 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Pause for a moment. Who are you going to obey? Sin or God? Continue verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Why are you going to take verse 14 and break, break it into parts and quote the last part, but not the first? For sin shall not have dominion over you, but you are not under the law, but under grace. What is it when, we are, uh, when sin has dominion over us? We're under the condemnation of the instructions of God, the Torah. What is it when sin doesn't have dominion over us? We're under grace. We're under the grace. Do you understand? Paul's giving us this beautiful revelation of the purpose for the law. To the sinner, it is death and condemnation. To the one who breaks the law, it is condemnation. To the one who lives by it, 
who obeys God, it's grace. How do I know what sin is except for the law? I can't. Go to Romans chapter 7, verse 10, and we'll read through verse 13. And the commandment, singular again, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Pause for a moment. Why is that as far as people will read? Continue reading verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and, it, and by it killed me. Do you understand? It's sin, not the commandment that's not holy. Go to verse 12. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. What has then what become good become death to me? Certainly not. Do you hear Paul? Certainly not. But sin, that it may appear, might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment may become exceedingly sinful. God has been gracious to us in telling us, defining for us what righteousness looks like. The commandment brings life. It reveals the righteousness of God. And it also reveals sin. But it's sin that brings death. Not God's righteousness. Ephesians chapter 2. Excuse me, verse 4. Chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 21 through 24. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Yeshua, that you put off, Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful, deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What is the new man? Who is the new man? It's the man that lives according to God's Torah. Psalm 1. The one who walks according to his commandments. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-two. Flee also youthful, lust, youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue righteousness. It's Titus two eleven through fourteen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for us, that he may redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own people, zealous for good works. Live righteously, zealous for good works. That's what Paul tells Titus. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 tells us to be holy as God is holy where he quotes from Leviticus 1 Peter 3 13 through 16 therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober lest you lest your hope lest you your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua as obedient children not conform yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct for it is written, because it is written be holy for I am holy is it all faith? beloved faith and works cannot be separated Paul tells us or excuse me, Peter speaks to us in 1 Peter and he says we should be as obedient children. Ephesians 4, 17 This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The futility of their mind. This reminds me of the whole concept Greek philosophy. Nothing against Greek people, but when it comes to their philosophy, and it has permeated Western thought, permeated uh, uh, classical Christian theology, it is a futility of their mind. Walking as Gentiles walk. Thinking that it doesn't matter what you do, but what you believe is what matters. Ignoring the very words of God. Uh, ignoring the very instructions given by James it says faith without works is dead you can't have a belief in your head and it not be measured by what you do what you do is a is a siren of what you claim you believe 
to say one thing and do another. And that's lack of integrity that is revealed. Where we pick and choose between what we will or what we will not obey. As what is spoken by the, by the Almighty, by the Holy One, blessed is He. 2 John 6 This is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. This is written by John, the beloved disciple. John, the one who writes so eloquently of love, both in the gospel and also in his epistles. This one, the beloved disciple, who knows what love is, as he experienced love, as he gave love for uh, the Lord, as he lived lovingly and obediently towards his master, Yeshua. And this is what he said, this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. Which commandments? Is that the question you ask? Which commandments? Or is it the commandment? Do you walk according to the commandment? It's the one you heard from the beginning. It's the one that you heard from the beginning. You know what it is. It starts in Genesis and it doesn't conclude until Revelation. And it stands as eternal. Everything spoken by the Almighty. We stand up and say, all that He says, I will do. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, and we'll read through 27. This is the promise of the New Covenant. The same one is revealed in Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. The same one is revealed in Deuteronomy 30. The same one that Messiah speaks of at his last Seder. Ezekiel 36.25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, plural, speaking to Israel, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. You know, Paul is oftentimes accused of being anti-Semitic of abandoning Judaism. And as we've seen in the study, obviously, this is so far from, from the truth, so far from uh, reality. Paul, the faithful servant of God, is anything but uh, a charlatan or someone who puts on, and, uh, puts on different clothes for different people, who says one thing to one people and another thing to another people. Uh, they, they accuse him of being all things to all people, misquoting him. And instead, they, and they fail to recognize the very words that he gave us. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul tells us, But I, brothers, if I still proclaim circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. Do you know what the stumbling block of the cross is? The stumbling block of the cross is what Paul's mission was all about. That it wasn't by ritual conversion. It wasn't by Gentiles becoming Jews that Gentiles had a part in the world to come. But that this massive influx of Gentiles as experienced in the years before the first century and particularly in the years of the first century and following. This massive influx of Gentiles was because God was calling them into, com- into community with him and that he was calling them into a relationship with him through his servant, Israel, and through his servant, Messiah. The stumbling block of, block of the cross is man-made ritual can't do it. The stumbling block of the cross is it's only by the work of Messiah that it's done. 
Paul says here, if I'm, if I'm proclaiming circumcision, why am I still persecuted? We saw in, in Acts chapter 22 uh, where they said, where, where the word had gotten out that Paul was speaking against circumcision. James is encouraging Paul, no, no, tell him it's not true. We know it's not true. But they misunderstood. They've misunderstood your words. They've misinterpreted you. This is, what the, this is what classical Christianity has done. It's misinterpreted Paul. Paul's talking against man-made rules to enter the, com- the community of faith. Man-made rules. Will you pray this prayer after me? Will you raise your hand? Will you walk this aisle? If you want to be accepted, you must undergo this form of baptism. Then you'll be a member of this church. Beloved, those are man-made rules. Paul would speak as strongly against them as he does against circumcision, ritual conversion. Paul was persecuted because of this. It is not a contest between... It's not because he taught that Yeshua was the Messiah. Who knows? Maybe he was, many would have considered. That wasn't the point. We know that when Messiah was murdered, it was because he threatened the very power structure of the high priest. The man-made, paid-for priesthood as opposed to the God-given priesthood that was inherited from son to son from Aaron's line. That's why he was murdered. We know, of course, that he gave himself freely because his purposes were were to reveal the righteousness of God and the forgiveness, the taking away of sin. We know this. But to the world he was murdered. Not because he claimed to be Messiah. But rather he was he was murdered because his speaking against man made religion. Paul was persecuted because he understood that God wanted to draw all men to himself. Not by making them Jews, but by making them part of Israel through the work of Messiah. He says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter... He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 11, uh, through... Uh, verse, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 8... Through 24, he speaks about this. He speaks about the very thing, uh, the very persecution that he went through. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. He's being sarcastic. For you put up with one, but for you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face, to our shame I say that we are too weak for that. He's speaking, he's being sarcastic. But if, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Messiah? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundantly. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Beloved, when we consider that Paul was, was beaten five times, it is often missed because people don't know the background or the culture or the, or the instructions given regarding, uh, be, regarding being cut off. This is from the Talmud, in Babylonian Talmud, Makot 23a. For all who have incurred the penalty of karet, karet is to be cut off. On being flogged, obtain remission from their punishment of karet. For it is said, Forty, he shall have him beaten. He shall not exceed, lest thy brother shall be dishonored before thine eyes, which shows that having received the flogging, he is considered thy brother. These are the words of, of uh, Rabbi Hananiah ben Gamliel. And he said, 
Rabbi Hananiah ben Gamliel, if one transgression, a transgressor, forfeits his soul, how much more should one who perform one precept have his soul granted him? And then from uh, Archin 16b in the Babylonian Talmud, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah said, I wonder if there is one in this generation who knows how to reprove. And Rabbi Yo- uh, Yochanan ben Nuri said, I call heaven and earth to witness for myself that often was Akiva punished through me because I used to complain against him for our, for, before our Rabban Gamliel Beribi. And all the more he showered love upon me to make true what has been said. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Reprove a wise man, he will love thee. Do you understand here where Paul, uh, when Paul went under the, the beating, it was his choice. He had a choice. He could choose he could choose to be cut off, excommunicated, as we saw that Rabbi Eliezer was, excommunicated, or he could undergo a beating. The beatings were so serious that oftentimes people died from them, which is why it was 40 minus 1, 39. Because if in administering the beating, the person died, the one who gave the beating, if he exceeded 40, strikes, he was guilty of murder. So that's why it was 40 minus 1. So that he would not be guilty of murder. This is not Roman law. This is, this is the Mishnah recording this. It's found in the Babylonian Talmud, uh, quoting from the Mishnah, that those who have been flogged receive remission from the sin, from the punishment. And he says, your brother should not be dishonored before your eyes. In other words, after he's been flogged, he's thy brother. He's to be loved. He's to be considered whole. Not to be punished. The fact that Paul went through it five times proves one thing. That he never wanted to be dis- distanced or separated from Judaism. From his Jewish brothers. He could have easily just gone and left and had nothing to do with them and only been apart with Gentiles. That's what people think he did. And he didn't. Five times he suffered beating. Five times he risked his life so that he could still be Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, but Paul, a Jewish man. Paul had no desire to be separated from his people. He says the very same things in Romans chapter 11. Paul never Paul would have been would, would, would have never would have distanced himself from the Jewish people. Paul would be so so di- so distraught today if he could know what people are using his words to do against the Jewish people and what they've been used to do over the history of classical Christian theology against the Jewish people. Paul loved the Jewish people. He proved his love for the Jewish people. He understood how necessary it was for Gentiles to be a part of the Messianic promise. He understood that without Gentiles joined as part of Israel, Israel wasn't whole. Paul understood that there's no Israel apart from her calling to bring Gentiles to the Lord. He knew that there was no hope for Gentiles apart from Israel. He knew that there is no Israel without Jews. He knew that there was no Israel without Gentiles. He knew that they were mutually dependent in God's plan for the messianic age, for the redemption of mankind, for the story of the ages. And for that, he was willing to undergo beatings to remain part of his Jewish brothers and at the same time to continue to bring the good news to his Gentile brothers. Let's spend a little bit of time in exegesis. We're going to read all the way through Galatians chapter 5 now and uh, bring together some of these things that we've been speaking about. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand firm, therefore, in liberty by which Messiah has made us free, and don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, tell you that if you receive circumcision, Messiah will profit you nothing. Yes, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's a debtor to to do the whole law. You are alienated from Messiah if you desire to be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Beloved, if you are keeping the commandments of God, you have not fallen from grace. You are living grace. What Paul's speaking about, for those who seek to be justified by the law, who are entangled in a yoke of bondage, he's speaking about ritual conversion. Being entangled 
being entangled in a man-made web. No. He has made us free. Messiah has made us free. That's the liberty of Messiah. A debtor to keep the whole law, oral and written, or a slave to righteousness, as he said. We should be slaves to righteousness. Verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision amounts to anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith working through love. You are running well. Who interfered with you that you should not obey the truth? The persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little yeast goes through the whole, grows through the whole lump. I have confidence towards you in the Lord that you will think no other way. But he who troubles you will bear this judgment, whoever he is. <laughs> Stop for a moment here. Do you look at Look at this. Uh, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but faith working through love. Uh, does that not just contradict what he just said, if you take this word circumcision for what is, what, what is often read? If you receive circumcision, it'll profit you nothing. Here he says circumcision or uncircumcision, neither amount to anything, but faith working through love. That's not what he's speaking of. He's not speaking about the commandments of circumcision as revealed in the Torah. What he's speaking about is ritual conversion. Neither ritual conversion amounts to anything nor un, or, or those who are already uh, part of the covenant community through circumcision or uncircumcision. Those who haven't gone through that ritual process. Is he saying the men shouldn't be circumcised? Of course not. What he's saying is he's saying what was it done for? Was it done to be a part of the community? Or was it done because, because God's commanded it? What is it that matters? It's not man-made ritual that joins us to the covenant community. It's God. Through His Spirit and faith of Messiah's work, that's what makes us members of the covenant. Uh, pick it up in verse 11. But I, brothers, if I still proclaim circumcision why am I persecuted, then the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who would disturb you would cut themselves off. This is what Mark Nanos calls uh, the irony. Uh, the irony of Galatians is this... Uh, and it becomes most sharp here. I wish they'd go ahead and circumcise themselves completely. Uh, Paul's, uh, Paul's words are fairly harsh, uh, certainly graphic here. Um, the stumbling block of the cross is, is this. Faith in the crucified and risen Messiah can do what man-made rituals can't ever do. And that is give Jew and Gentile a common hope in the world to come. Verse 13. For you, brothers, were called for freedom. Only don't use your freedom for gain to the flesh, but through the love be, but through love be servants to one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself quoting from Levitic, uh, Leviticus 19 and then he goes through and he lists the things to know whether you love or don't love your neighbor listen this is the way you don't love your neighbor but if you bite and devour one another, be careful you don't consume one another. But I say, walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, you may not do the things that you desire. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hateful, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, Orgies and the things and things like these, which I forewarn you, even as I forewarn, which I forewarn you, even as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how you know you don't love your neighbor. Leviticus 19. How do I know if I love God and my neighbor? Galatians 5:22. But the spirit of the Lord, of this, but the but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, as against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. That means let's obey God. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. If you walk in the Spirit, live like you're part of the covenant. And as we saw in Ezekiel, the Spirit will cause you to walk obediently. No matter what or how, Galatians 5 has been perverted by men, particularly in the 
Protestant Reformation. But even before that, going back into the Antinacian fathers who, uh, who taught in their anti-Semitic theology that God was finished with Israel and that the commandments given to us through his servant Moses were commandments to Jews that God punished Jews by giving them to him. But now he's given us a new law. No matter how that's been, Galatians 5 has been twisted to say that, that, that disgusting and wicked thing. It's not. And Paul's message in Galatians 5 rings very clear. Only Messiah can give us hope. And the Spirit will cause us to walk in obedience to God's commandments. Beloved, don't trust in man-made answers to deal with sin. Don't trust in man-made theologies to keep from sinning. Don't trust in man-made theologies that say the law has been fulfilled when in fact they mean annulled. The message of Galatians 5 is clear. Live righteous lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then God will be glorified in your life. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, our King, great and mighty are you. Your name is holy. Holy ones praise you every day. Eternally before your throne, they declare Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. You are separate. You are distinct. You are like none other. You are holy. Your righteousness extends to the ends of the earth. From the rising of the sun till its setting, your name is declared and your righteousness is revealed by nature and by the words that you gave to us in your word. We know you. You have revealed yourself to us. You have called us into relationship with you. We who are sinful, we who have sinned and become unrighteous. You have declared your righteousness to us and called us into a relationship with you, the Holy and Righteous One. You have given us, through the power and the working of Messiah's resurrection, you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have joined us to you. You have not only told us to cleave to you, you have made us cleave to you. You have not simply commanded us to obey you. You have given us a spirit that causes us to walk righteously before you. How gracious you are. How good you are. How much you love us. May our walk speak louder than what we say. May the deeds that we perform with our mouth, with our hands and with our feet declare your righteousness to a world that is perishing. May your light shine through us that the world may see our good deeds and glorify you. Righteous One, King, Holy One, blessed are you. Thank you for your love as you've revealed yourself to us. This is Ahava Rabbah. With an abundant love you have loved us, Lord our God. With exceedingly great pity you have pitied us. Our Father, our King, for the sake of our forefathers who trusted in you, in whom you taught the decrees of life, may you be equally gracious to us and teach us. Our Father, the merciful Father who acts mercifully, 
have mercy upon us. Instill in our hearts to understand and elucidate, to listen, learn, teach, safeguard, perform, and fulfill all the words of your Torah's teaching with love. Enlighten our eyes to your Torah. Attach our hearts to your commandments and unify our hearts to love and fear your name that we will not feel inner shame for all eternity because we have trusted in your great and awesome holy name. We exalt and rejoice in your salvation. Bring us in peacefulness from the four corners of the earth and lead us with an upright pride to our land. For you affect salvations, O God. You have chosen us from among every people and tongue. You have brought us close to your great name forever in truth to offer praiseful thanks to you and to proclaim your oneness with love. Blessed are you, Lord, who chooses his people Israel with love. Amen. We pray that in the name of our Master, Messiah. That's from the Art Scrolls Complete Siddur uh, of Hava Rabbah, found on page 89. God bless you.